We're going to John chapter 7, and you can stand when you have it. And can somebody fix the clock up there because it says 10 o'clock and you don't want me preaching for two hours. <laughs> I'll see it and think I have a, yeah. <laughs> so uh, John chapter 7, we're going to begin in verse 37. John writes, on the day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. So, I do not understand people who like to run for fun. Can I get a witness? It's running is awful. <laughs> and, and you may think that's my opinion, but I think it's an objective truth. I do it for health benefits here and there, but I'm telling you, it's, it's awful. <laughs> my least favorite form of cardio. Just a few years ago, though, being the glutton for punishment that I am, I ran my first 5K with my good friend, our worship leader, Bob Stamper who, by the way, is a seasoned runner. You can tell by looking at him, can't you? Um, it was not a fun day. It was, <laughs> every stride was agonizing. Have you ever done a 5K, like actually run? Yeah, like every stride was agonizing. I, remember, I was probably only about a tenth of the mile in when I just remember my heart pounding. I was sweating profusely. My breathing was labored. I was trying to think, does Bob have any kind of medical training? <laughs> but, you know, one of the worst feelings, uh, one, of, one of the worst feelings, yeah, the race took a toll on us. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's funny right there. I don't care who you are. <laughs> I kind of look like Steve Martin. That's what I'm going to hate, right? <laughs> Bob, I don't know. But uh, though I drank a bit of water before the race, you know, one of the worst feelings during that race was I just felt dehydrated. I mean, lost my energy. My, my throat was really dry. My lips were parched. And my mouth was dry. It was miserable. And so I felt like, man, I just can't do this. But then I saw this angelic place just in the distance. Actually, we were running next to Chick-fil-A. I didn't think of that. I would have stopped off. It's a good thing I didn't see it. No, it was the water station. And in that moment, you might as well given me, have given me a, a million dollars. That's what it felt like. One cup of water. It, it changed my perspective. It changed the run. And I finished. And as you see, it did, though it, it did age me a bit. We finished. And we finished in about 28 minutes. How about that? Bob would have done it with 20 if I wasn't with him, but there you go. But, but you know, I think that's perhaps a uh, feeling that you and I can all relate to. There's probably been a time that 
in your life you've been extremely thirsty and just that you just would give anything for just a drop of water. And so in our text today, we find Jesus imploring those who are thirsty to come to him to drink. And as such, he's offering them a deep satisfaction, or you could say a refreshing like the world has never experienced before. And so the section, here's the tie-in to where we're at in Matthew. The section in Matthew that we're in, we're in Matthew chapter 10, and it's about the, a com, Jesus' commissioning of the, uh, of the 12 apostles, their call to go into the world and to, and to preach the gospel. And that's the call that you and I have as well. So I left you last at the end of last, uh, the last sermon with a challenge. And the challenge is, is that each one of us would go and we would reach somebody before Easter with the gospel. We would proclaim the gospel to them. We would invite them to Easter service. And so today, I, I want to take this interlude to remind us of what we're actually offering. We're, we're not just offering mere words. Uh, we're, we're not just offering someone a, a well-rehearsed track or, a, you know, presentation. Friends, we're offering life. We're offering living water. The world, I don't know if you noticed, but it is dry. It is a barren land, and it's in desperate need of living water. So let's talk about that uh, water for a few minutes. Look at verse 37, if you would, with me. Matthew writes, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. On the last day of the feast, well, what feast? Well, if, if you go to verse 2 of this chapter, you'll find that, that Matthew is referring to what's called the Feast of Booths, B-O-O-T-H-S. This was one of the uh, three most important Jewish festivals, the Feast of Booths. It was a harvest feast. It took place in autumn. It was celebrated for eight days in Jerusalem. And it's interesting, it was referred to as the Feast of Booths because the men during this festival would actually live in these booths made of branches and leaves. And the reason they did this was because it commemorated God's faithfulness to His people, the Israelites in the Old Testament. And they would kind of live in these structures when they were in the wilderness so it was just a way to commemorate uh, the, the, the story of old that they had been told, the, their, their people. You know, God was so faithful to them as they wandered through the wilderness. Now, it's really significant here that during this festival, this feast, that Jesus refers to thirst. And here's why. One of the miracles that would have been commemorated during the feast is found actually in Exodus chapter 17. You can go read that later. I'm just going to give you a quick paraphrase. So here's kind of what was going on. The Israelites were camping at a place called Rephidim, and there was no water. No water in sight. Nothing for them to drink. And though God had already proven himself faithful time and time again, there was still a great measure of distrust amongst the people of Israel. And so they began to complain and to grumble against the Lord. And as a matter of fact, it got so heated that Moses was afraid for his life. He thought, man, these people are going to hang me because I'm their leader. And so ultimately, the Israelites were in rebellion against God. They were showing distrust in the good father. 
So Moses, in that moment, he cried out to God, and the Lord instructed him to take some of the elders and to go to Oreb. And there, the Lord's manifest presence was on this rock. Interesting, huh? And Moses was then commanded to strike the rock with his staff, and when he did, what happened? Water began to flow from the rock. You're like, what in the world? Friends, you may think this is just a random story. It has amazing purpose. It points forward to Jesus Christ. It finds its fulfillment, as a matter of fact, in Jesus. Paul makes the connection. You can go to this text later, too. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In Exodus 17, it was the grumbling of the Israelites. It, it was them that deserved judgment. Are you with me? So the Israelites in Exodus 17 deserved God's judgment because of their complaining and grumbling. By the way, you may not know this, but complaining and grumbling is a sin. Look at your neighbor and say, he's telling the truth. Stop it. <laughs> right? So, so understand that Israel deserved the judgment. Moses' rod represents God's judgment. The people are the ones who deserve to be struck. But instead, remember, God's manifest presence was on this rock. His presence was on the rock, and he commanded Moses to strike the rock. It wasn't just the rock he was striking, but it was the presence of God that he was striking. Do you get the picture? God himself took the blow that the Israelites deserved. Sit with that for a moment. Friends, we've all rebelled against God, have we not? We have all sinned. We all deserve His judgment. Yet Jesus, who is the rock of our salvation, offers an even greater water to this crowd than what we see in Exodus 17. Spiritual water that will satisfy even the deepest cravings of our lives. And as He speaks these words, as Jesus speaks these words, here's what He knows. He knows at the cross of Calvary that He Himself is about to take the blow of God's judgment that is meant for us, that we deserve. And because of His sacrifice, His death, His burial, His resurrection, we get the benefit of the living water that flows from Him. Wow. So what is the water then that Jesus promises? Look at verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as the Scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those whom he believed in, uh, those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So the water that Jesus promises, very simply, it's the Holy Spirit that he's talking about. And I believe it's here that we find the essence of Christianity. It's like, uh, you know, is Christianity mainly about religious rites and liturgy? Is it about mainly about doctrine? Is it mainly about being a better person? Is it mainly about church attendance? Is it mainly about uh, acquiring a new moral kind of framework? Well, while all of those are, are important aspects of Christianity, none of them truly get to the heart of what Christianity is. Christianity, friends, it's about a relationship with God. 
It's about being filled with God's Spirit, communing with Him, and then being transformed by that Spirit. It's about new creation. It's about knowing God, and all of that happens because of what Christ has done, because of the Father's gracious work in the giving of His Son, and now because of the Spirit's presence in our life, the one who makes us new. It's a beautiful picture. And because we are now reconciled to God the Father through Jesus, every one of us gets the Holy Spirit. The Spirit indwells every, every true believer. Good. Let me just read you 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. So here's what I want you to see this morning. Whether you realize it or not, the, the spiritual, or we could say spiritual thirst, is the greatest craving of our own hearts. You may think it's something else, but friends, that is our deepest need and desire. And that's true when we go into the world to proclaim the gospel. You need to know that is the deepest need of every man, woman, boy, and girl. Our community and our world is full of thirsty, broken people. And what's interesting is, friends, we can't help them. We can't heal them. Dr. Phil, Oprah, can't heal them. We can't fix their brokenness. But you know what we can do? We can point them to the one who can. The Lord Jesus Christ himself. As we proclaim the gospel, that's the point. It's not that they're our project and we're trying to fix their brokenness. No, we're trying to point them on to the one who can. That's the mission. We've got the living water that they need. And when they drink of that, that water, they will never, ever thirst again. So that's the water. What are the conditions? The water that Jesus offers, it's free. You might remember last week when we were in uh, Matthew chapter 10 and Jesus was sending the apostles on their first missionary endeavor. And he said, hey, don't charge for this. You'd think that would be obvious, but he needed to say that. You've uh, freely received, so you freely give. So, so what are the conditions? There are, even though it's free, this living water, th there are some conditions that you must meet before you receive it. Number one is you've got to be thirsty for the right thing. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, everyone is thirsty for something. True? We all have some desire, but friends, if we're going to receive what God has for us, we have to thirst for Him. We must hunger and thirst for righteousness. We must, uh, we must long for spiritual water. There has to be a thirst. You know, uh, growing up in Winchester for years, I had a perpetual craving for what? Come on, somebody. And now I, I occasionally still enjoy an L.A. Matter of fact, during the U.K. game yesterday, I drank when I needed something stronger after that game. Just joking. But my obsession was negatively impacting my health. I mean, growing up, I could put them away. Come on. I mean, it was nothing to, to go through a carton a day. 
And so it began to, to negative, negatively impact my health. Um, I mean, that was our water in Winchester. I think they put it in like baby bottles, you know, growing up. So I had to resist the ginger delicacy for some time. That makes us sound really uh, snooty in Winchester, right? And well-to-do, right? The ginger delicacy that we served instead of ale late. Um, but here's what I had to do. I had to resist it, and I had to replace L8 with water, which is awful at first because you're used to this sugary, syrupy uh, drink. And, and so I had, but I knew I had to drink more water, and so I started drinking more water. And here's what's so interesting. Over time, and it actually didn't take that long, over time, even to this day, I now thirst for water, which is healthy which my body needs and does not need L8. But I, I would much rather, any, any day, I'd rather have water or unsweet tea than, than some sugary drink. And so, there you go. Those wanting to receive what Jesus is offering must thirst for the right thing. You know, you might, they, the world, as we go out and witness, they might be thirsting for you know, um, sexual experience or um, some ungodly relationship or money or power. And, and the, things, the, the thing is that those things, when misused, can, can really damage a person, just like L8, when a, you know, it can, can hurt you if, you if that's what you're drinking day in and day out. So think about that. People, if they're going to receive this living water, they've, they've got to kind of change their, their craving. And the good news is this. We're not the ones who have to change that craving. God does that. God is the one that calls them to Himself. So let's go, if we might, just back one chapter to John chapter 6. And in this chapter, we find this beautiful discourse. It's called the Bread of Life Discourse from Jesus. Look with me at verse 25. It says, When the crowd found Jesus on the other side of the sea... They said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Here's the context of what's going on in, in John 6. So Jesus had just fed, uh, he's just fed 5,000, and now the crowds are looking to him again. We're still hungry, we want dessert, right? And the implication in these verses is that they're not seeking him because that they realize by his signs that he is Israel's Messiah. No, they're seeking him because they want what? Food, material benefits. They don't want Him as the bread of life. They want literal physical bread, and that's all they're interested in. And then they'll again be on their way. And Jesus tells them essentially, you're searching, you're craving, you're hungering for the wrong things. What a message for us today. Multitudes of people will tell you in our country, in our city, that they're seeking Jesus. But it's not because they want Him, it's because they want His benefits. We have this false gospel, it's, we call it the American gospel, where, where Jesus is turned into this kind of genie in a bottle, and he becomes a means of just making the American dream come true. Does Jesus ever bless us physically on this earth? Yes, he does. 
But that isn't the essence of why we come to Him. That's kind of a fringe benefit at times. We've got to have the attitude of the Apostle Paul who, who said in Philippians chapter 4, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, he says, I've learned this secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. And this is the context in which our, one of our favorite verses is quoted, is found. I can do what? All things through Christ who strengthens me. That verse is not about uh, God helping you win a ball game. It's not about Jesus helping you pass a test. It's like, I won't study. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? It's like, no, what Paul is saying is this. I know what it is to have nothing, no physical. I know what it's like to even be hungry, he says. And I know what it's like to abound. But in all circumstances, it's not a lack of food that crushes me. It's not uh, an abundance of food that satisfies me. It is Jesus Christ and Him alone who is sufficient. So whether I have much or whether I have little, little, Jesus Christ is enough. That's the point. He is sufficient. Many people claim to want Jesus, but perhaps they just want Him, Hey, fix my marriage and then I'll go about my way. God fixes the marriage and then you don't see him anymore. Or perhaps they want just their dreams to come true or their business dreams to come true. Oh, if I just do this, then God's going to bless my business. And again, you're just after the benefits. But friends, if you want to, to taste of the living water that Jesus offers, you've got to be after him. You've got to want him. We've got to desire Jesus himself. Only way to get that living water which can truly and eternally satisfy is to thirst for the spiritual water that Jesus offers. There's a second condition here. So the first would be, you could say, authentic thirst. The second one is repentant faith. Verse 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. How does a person become indwelt by the Spirit? It says here. Right? How does someone experience the blessing of living water? It says it right here. It's belief in Jesus. So, but we know from the context, we've got to be careful here because we know from this context and the context of the whole of Scripture that this is not merely an intellectual faith that Jesus is talking about. It's an active, heartfelt faith that comes to Jesus not just as Savior. Every sane person wants Jesus as Savior. But he's not Savior unless what? He's Lord. He's Lord. There was an evangelist who, uh, would, he's traveled around, I think his name is David Ring. And uh, he's traveled around the country and, and world for many years and has a great testimony. And he would, one of his big um, testimonies at the end of his, or, or one of his big altar uh, pleas, if you will, um, what is at the end of his messages, he always says, hey, because he's preaching to a lot of church people, he says, listen, most of you have head knowledge. But he said, it needs to travel from your head to your heart. Have you repented? Have you truly made Jesus the Lord of your life? Not just intellectually, but have you expressed true faith, repentant faith in the Lord? And so he did this for years, and, and often... His, his wife, most of the time, would travel with him. And, and one day, he's giving an altar call. And 
tons of people are co- coming down, but uh, to to the front, they're running and they're 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 repenting of their sin. It's a beautiful picture, but he is awestruck by something that he sees. You want to guess who was running down the aisle? His wife, who had traveled with him for years, who had grown up in the church, and she said, "Listen," she said, "Honey." I realized today the Spirit convicted me. I've had an intellectual faith. I've been a pretty moral person, but I've had an intellectual faith only. I've never truly given my heart to the Lord. I've never truly repented. And the Lord broke me today so that He can put me back together. And she got saved that Sunday evening. Isn't that a beautiful story? Listen, friends. It's not enough for you to just grow up in church and to have head knowledge. Is he really the Lord of your life? Have you truly repented and turned to him? That's required to taste of this living water. So we've looked at the water that Jesus offered, the condition that's necessary to receive the water, and let's finally consider the adults, uh, not adults, the results. Um, I'm going to move through these really quickly, uh, just for time's sake. You can study up more on these later, but uh, in verse 38, Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So let's just consider some of the benefits to putting our faith in Christ in receiving the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Number one, there is an assurance of salvation that comes with the Holy Spirit. An assurance of salvation. Uh, if you want, flip over with me just a few books to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And go with me down to verse 13. It says this, Paul writes, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him and were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It's a sealing. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Do you see that? You know, there are many people who go to bed every night, who go to church every week and and wonder if they're saved or not. That's a miserable way to live. Friends, when you truly are saved, when you become a real follower of Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit who is a deposit in a guarantee of your future salvation and in your inheritance. It is the Holy Spirit who bears witness with your spirit that you are, in fact, a child of God. And there's this peace and this beautiful assurance that comes with God's Spirit. So before you're saved, I mean, most people just, or many people know that they're, you know, if they were to die, that they would not have eternal life. But, but some of them just wonder, like, hey, am I a good enough person? You know, are, are my good deeds going to outweigh my bad deeds? And, and, and they're just confused. And I can't imagine living my life that way. Because this life is but a drop in the bucket compared to all of eternity. But Jesus says we can, or Paul says we can have assurance if we have the Spirit. Second benefit of this living water, the Holy Spirit, is the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> we'll be nicer. Come on. You say, my spouse needs the Spirit. <laughs> Look at, let me just read you a familiar text, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is this, love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now let me just ask you, are those attributes that describe your life? Because when you go out, like we're, we're challenging you that by Easter you go out and you share the gospel, you proclaim the good news of Jesus with at least one family, hopefully more, and you invite them to Easter service. But does your life testify to them that you are full of the Spirit? Would they see you as loving and joyful and patient with people? Kind, good, faithful, gentle, self-controlled. The, the beauty of that, you know, that, those attributes, that's what Jesus has called us to in the Sermon on the Mount. That's what the Christian life looks like, to live in such a way. But the good news about the Spirit is this. Jesus doesn't say, hey, just try harder. He says, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God working in you. You you and I, we just have to obey the Spirit. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. Number three, third benefit. We have spiritual gifts resulting from the Spirit's presence. We've got practical gifts and, and, and supernatural gifts, each and every Christian. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul says, To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So the Spirit, you could say, makes us useful. He gives, so Jesus is offering this wonderful living water, His Spirit, that does so much in our lives. The fourth benefit is this. Because of the Spirit, we know how to glorify Christ. You know, uh, I... I I have counseled through the years a lot of husbands, and I've had counseling myself how to be a better husband. And and husbands, we all need counseling. You know why? Because we want to please our wives, but we don't know how. Right? Just tell me what you want. We don't think like you, right? You know, could you imagine, you know, the Bible calls us to glorify God in all that we do. Could you imagine just it just being kind of a shot in the dark, like... um, this is why, like, the giving of the Old Testament law was so profound, because the other, you could say, false deities or gods that, that the other communities worshipped, it was a guessing game. They would cry out. You might remember stories in the Old Testament, and they would sacrifice people, and they would do all these crazy things, cut themselves to try to please, because they had no idea what their God wanted. But God gave the children of Israel and us, He said, Here, here's how you please me. Here's what I desire. This is how you walk in holiness. And so the Spirit actually helps us in glorifying God. Um, John 16, I'll let you turn there since you're in the book of John. Flip over to, to chapter 16. And let's look again at verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, Jesus says, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. I like to say it like this. The Spirit spotlights Jesus for us. We're reminded by the Spirit of Christ's Word. We are led in ways that glorify Christ. So the Spirit ultimately leads us in the will of the Father. And of the Son, Jesus Christ. Fifth benefit. This is, not, uh, the, I'm, this is not all of the benefits. 
but we could probably go on and on and on, couldn't we, today and talk about the benefits. But these are five major benefits of the Spirit's work in our lives. John uh, 4, 14. Whoever drinks of the water, this is Jesus. He's talking to the woman at the well, one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Remember the Rolling Stone song? I can't get no satisfaction. And I try, I try, and I try, and I try. Partner, pardon my grammar, but I can't get no. <laughs> right? Friends, that's the tune of the world. They're, they're striving uh, for money and power and sex and fame and education. And none of these things satisfy their hearts. They're never enough. Never, ever, ever. They're not meant to satisfy the heart, and they never will. But with Christ... <laughs> You and I and the, the, the dry and thirsty people out there can experience this incredible state of uh, completeness and satisfaction. True, what we might call blessedness. So there are many benefits to the individual who's indwelt by the Spirit. But beyond that, there are benefits to those who are around us. Because Jesus does not say that the water will just flow to you. What's he say? It'll flow from you. It'll gush from you. The joy and the peace and the love and the satisfaction, friends, it's supposed to flow from you and from me to the people that we work with, to the people that we live with, to the people in Walmart. Everywhere we go, they need it, right? Like everywhere we go, the Spirit is supposed to go with us and the fruit of the Spirit and the joy of the Spirit and the peace of the Spirit, everything that, that the Spirit brings is supposed to flow from us so that people will see something distinct about us and say, what is it that's different about you? Because I've been in a pandemic for two years and I'm miserable, and yet you have some kind of peace that makes no sense to me. And then you get to share Christ with them. But listen, if we are living as everybody else, if we're miserable, grumpy complainers and grumblers, nobody's going to care about the water that we have. The Spirit's presence in our life should refresh other people and should lead them to the gospel. So let me just close by leaving you with a few questions here. Number one, have you really come to Christ? When every person here, to, I'm not asking you, have you come to church? Obviously, you're here. I'm not asking you, have you been baptized even? I'm asking you, have you truly repented of your sin and, sin and come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life? Are you truly indwelt by His Spirit? Does your life testify to that? If not, friend, hear me, today is your day. Don't be ashamed. I, I encourage you, come to the front at the end and, and, and let me pray with you. Let Pastor Ben pray with you. One of our deacons, we'd love to, to, to see you come to Christ today. You say, well, man, I'm embarrassed. I've been at the church for a long time. Well, think of David Ring's wife, who was a traveling evangelist, traveled with him for years, and yet came to a massive crowd of people. Everybody knew who she was, and yet she received Jesus Christ for the first time. 
And if you are a Christian, let me ask you, are you experiencing the benefits of the, of the Spirit, the joy of God, the peace of God? The late preacher Charles Spurgeon said this. Listen to these words. He said, God's people do not always know the greatness of His love to them. Sometimes, however, it is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Some of us know at times what it is almost to be too happy to live. The God so overpoweringly experienced by us on some occasions, we almost had to ask God to stop it because of the delight. We could not endure it anymore. Does that sound like a foreign religion to you? That is just not the American experience. That's not the normal American Christian experience. Because we've become cynics and despondent in our faith and just grumps, <laughs> unkind. How do we change that? How do you access the, the gifts of the, of the Spirit, the benefits of the Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is not a gas. Very important. He's a person. It's not an it. He's not an it. He's a he. So how do you grow in your relationship with anybody else? Well, you spend time with them. Okay, you spend time with the Spirit. It's like how? Well, one, through the Word. It's how you spend time with God. Through fellowship. Walk with Him. Submit to Him as He leads you. Through His Word. Through prayer. As you do these things, your thirst will be quenched, and you'll, be, you'll obviously have joy, but then you'll be a source of joy to joyless people. And so I'll leave you with this question. Is living water flowing from you? Because some of you do have the joy in, in all of this, but you're just consumed with what's going on within these four walls. I would ask you, is the living water flowing from you. This is the point of our evangelism, that we would take the living water to a lost and dry and barren land. Our bodies, the Bible talks about, are temples of the Holy Spirit, which means you, you remember that throughout the Bible, the temple is the place where heaven and earth overlap. God's space meets man's space. Then the tabernacle, then the temple, and there's there's the, the there's not a physical t temple that houses God's presence. There's a spiritual temple. It's called the body of Christ. Peter says we're stones in that temple. Uh, we talked last week. Christ is the cornerstone. The apostles are the foundation. Are the foundation, and we're stones in the temple. And here's what it means: everywhere you go, work school, family reunions, grocery store. You are this beautiful temple. You're taking the people, you're taking the presence of God with you everywhere you go. Living water is meant to flow from you. May it be so. Let's reach some people with the gospel this week. I pray the Lord would break our heart for the lost. We don't have enough heart for the lost, enough brokenness for the lost. So remember that challenge by Easter. You reach one family. Let's pack this place out. Invite them. Share the gospel with them. I'd love to baptize people on Easter.
No better Sunday, right? Let's, by God's grace, may it be so. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your spirit, the one who transforms us, shapes us into the image of Jesus Christ, sanctifies us, helps us, leads us. Father, today, if there's one here that doesn't truly know you, that has not been indwelt by the Spirit, may they receive that Spirit today as they repent of their sin and turn to you in faith. May you go with us as we endeavor to be, even go before us, I should say, as we endeavor to lead people to you and to give them living water. Prepare their hearts, cultivate their hearts so that they're receptive and help us to live in such a way that they see the living water in us. I'll just be full of joy and gratitude, love and patience. And may we see a great revival as Stephen shared this morning what happened in Wells. Why not here, Lord? Why not this morning? We don't want to conjure something up. We want it to be by your Spirit. May we respond to you however you're drawn.